your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcasts. We have somebody from the United States. His name is Neil Miller. But Neil is actually not in the United States. He is in Chennai in India. Neil moved to Chennai in January 2010 with his wife and four suitcases. He prepared by reading a lot of good books and meeting a lot of knowledgeable people. However, nothing could have prepared him for what he experienced trying to start his own business and then working with a mid-sized family-owned Indian company. Every time that he thought India would finally get the best of him, he was able to add a layer of his understanding of India. His goal is to provide the most useful, helpful, insightful and accurate information available on India. It's a very um, casual interview uh, with Neil. We talk about a lot of things, a lot of um, his personal experience as well. And we finalize it with three really uh, deep and insightful tips if you want to get more culturally competent. So make sure you do keep listening to the end of the interview. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good afternoon, Neil. How are you? Doing extremely well, Chris. Thank you very much. Extremely well. I'm already interested in why you're doing extremely well. But before we get to uh, possibly those details, tell us a little bit about yourself, Neil. Where do you come from? Where are you now? And what is your cultural frame of reference? Yeah, I'm uh, from the U.S. I come from the state of Indiana. And I grew up pretty much there my whole life. Uh, the first 20, 25 years or so was all in, in that little small ecosystem. And then I moved to Chennai, India, 2010. So I've been here for a little more than five years now. And that's, that's pretty much the, the reference. I, I haven't, I've traveled around India, but in terms of living, it's always been here in the South in Chennai. It's, um, that's, Chennai is the, the, the former Madras, right? Correct. Yes. yes. And um, so you would, you would be classified, you could be classified as an enlightened American, maybe. <laughs> well, I'd like to think so. I I, uh, I do some writing on, on cultural differences, and I always have to be careful not to be too harsh towards my fellow countrymen for their sometimes lack of cultural understanding. But, and that's, uh, your fellow, fellow countrymen would still be the Americans, the United States. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, very quickly, we're going to talk about what you do in India, of course, as well. But um, it, it's, it's you, you call that lack of cultural awareness, or how do you... How would you explain what you just said about your own countrymen without me repeating it and actually shooting myself in the foot? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, no, it's, it, I mean, a lot of it's just a product of geography um, and history. You know, it's a country that is separated by two huge oceans. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, um, you know, they, there was really no need for cultural sensitivity. Um, mm -hmm. Neighbors to the north are, are friendly. Neighbors to the south are friendly. So there wasn't a lot of, of mixing going on. Um, so, when you, if you look at Americans, most of them are, are very willing to learn about cultures. They yep. want to to do a lot. Um, they're very eager people in in that way. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of them just aren't aware that other things exist. Yeah, uh, I, that's true. That's uh, true. I was reading something that said the the biggest challenge in in teaching Americans about culture is just convincing them that 
other cultures think differently than them and that they actually exist. Yeah. That's um, true. So I, that, that's the main thing. It's not so much that, that Americans are unwilling to, to learn about other cultures. It's just being aware of them. Yeah. It's just, I, I think it's just general ignorance and ignorance is bliss and you can't blame, blame people for being ignorant, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. There, there was really no need for so many, you know, decades that were there. And now that the need is coming, you know, you'll, you'll find tons of people who, who do have a lot of cultural um, sensitivities, but sure. the vast majority is still coming along a little slow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good point. Well, you moved from Indiana, it was, to Chennai, to uh, Madras, to India, the south of India, more or less the south. What what made you do this? What brought you to India? Yeah, I had a friend who was here that was... Oops, sorry about that. Uh, I had a friend that was here that was starting a business, and uh, he was doing just some basic training in, in culture. You know, and here in India, we have a lot of the technology outsourcing companies, so... There's a, a pretty big market for communication training and things like that. So I got into that when I started here. Um, it was really just a, a chance. I was married. My wife and I were wanting to, um, you know, have a new experience to learn something new around the world. So we decided to pack our bags and, and, and came here on our own. Um, so, yeah, it was really a, a leap in the dark. We hadn't ever been here before. And we just brought as much stuff as we could fit in four suitcases and, and started our life here. <laughs> What did your family say, the people around you? <laughs> I mean, they were, uh, they knew we were crazy already. So that, that would, didn't take any convincing, but they were, you know, they were excited for us. Most people would always say, you know, I wish that, you know, I would have done something like this. I was your age. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. we were, you know, mid to early twenties or so, no kids, no big responsibilities, hadn't really started careers yet. So hmm. we weren't necessarily leaving anything except for, you know, relationships with, with family. Um, So, you know, that, that's been something to, to balance as we've been here. We have two kids now, but, um, but yeah, that, that's the kind of story how we got here. Okay. And what made you choose uh, Chennai in the first place? Why not go to Delhi or Mumbai? Yeah. Uh, Delhi, Mumbai, now that I've been here, I, I wouldn't necessarily go there, but Chennai is a place that most Indians would, would ask, you know, why would you go there? It's, uh -huh. it's so hot uh, all yeah. the time. That's what most people say. And they're right. It is quite hot. Uh, I came here mainly because that, this is where my friend was that was starting the business. He already had some connections here. So uh, we said, yeah, let's, let's start there. We've stayed um, largely just because it, it's, it, it feels like Indiana in the sense of Indiana is a place where um, you like to be from. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice place to raise family. It's a nice place just to call home. Yeah. Um, Chennai is very safe. It's very uh, welcoming um, once you kind of get to know people. And it's, uh, you know, it's, It's a place where I, I, I like the options for my family to be here. So, yeah, it's, it's been nice for us. Good. That's, um, that's nice to hear. And, and um, was it, has it always been nice? I mean, you've been there five years. The culture shock, I think, um, happens to everyone. How did that go for you? <laughs> Sorry, Chris, one that, second. That's all right. There's family affairs going on. We just keep yeah, on yeah. Are you, are you able to recording. Just I've had a bit of an insight in uh, in what an American household looks like in the uh, in the south of India. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, sorry. Can you ask your question again? <laughs> oh, my question was: um, you, I, I think you moved five years ago as a, if you want, an unexperienced traveler, uh, at least with the uh, with the with the immense differences between the American culture and possibly Indian culture. And most people, if not all, everybody, goes through certain a certain amount of culture shock. How did that go for you? 
Yeah, it's it's honestly um, a cycle that continues on even today. You know, five years later, I can't say that I've avoided all all culture shock. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I like to say is like there's a difference between culture shock and like a culture attack, where you feel like you know you just lose control of your body and your mind, and you just start shouting and, and yelling at things. Yeah. Um, so culture shocks is more just like okay, things are a little different. Uh, you you notice differences that are there. It's like oh wow, that's interesting. You can write home about those things. But culture attacks are like when it's just really difficult. And you know, in, in five years, you experience a lot of those yeah. times um, that are there. Can, can you tell us and uh, give us an experience to share a story with us, either with with either the culture attack or the culture shock? Yeah, um, with with the culture attacks, it's it's always strange to share a story about it because as soon as you start talking about it, people are like, yeah, "That's not that big of a deal." But uh, when you when you add up these experiences over and over again, um, then it becomes very difficult. So, um, just to give a little example, that you, when I first got here, most of my bad experiences would happen in. Um, a like a mobile storeroom where you're trying to get service for your phone or, or trying to pay a bill or something like that mm-hmm. because you would have you know maybe got out got into an auto rickshaw to get there had to you know haggle for a good price and feel like you got taken advantage of you get there and your phone's not been working um the whole time and you you try to to figure out how to uh, get around all the service agreements and the contracts that are there and everything that exists and so then you, you get there and then the person behind the desk is, you know, maybe it takes a 30 minutes to 45 minutes to get there. And then they ask you, okay, what's the, the problem? You try to explain it and they have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, you, they give, they offer you some solution or they think you're trying to buy a new product because that's what they're trained to do is to sign up new things mm-hmm. and to do some services is very difficult. So all these experiences added up to another, you, you walk out and you're, you're yelling and you're very frustrated, or maybe you said something in the, in the storeroom that was, um, not so very friendly yeah, that you shouldn't have said, <laughs> Yeah. but then you walk out and you're like, okay, I, you know, that incident on its own, you could have easily handled better. It's just, they, they come compound each other and yeah. I'm very difficult. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the uh, the Lonely Planet actually starts its guide on India um, with these, I think, very appropriate words. They say that India is an assault on the senses, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think what they mean with that is India is is either very beautiful, uh, the most beautiful places on earth you can find there. On the other hand, you can the the um, the filth and the dirt is all around. I mean, you would wonder that the, the, the holy cows walking the streets actually they live on plastic rather than what a normal cow would eat. How has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that is an apt description, um, an assault on the senses. And it's it's a never-ending assault. Like, it, it continues to go. You don't get used to it over time. Um, you can get used to the food, um, some of the smells that are there. But, yeah, yeah there, there's so many, you know, pungent smells. Um, the food, the tastes are so different than uh, I was used to growing up in, in the U.S. Um, that's, you know, you, you do feel overwhelmed quite often and, and feel like everything's going on. And... Uh, I often will, will talk about, you know, these differences with, with some of my Indian friends here and some of them who are maybe have traveled less, like you'll talk about something like a cow on the road and they'll say, you know, that doesn't really happen. It's, it's not really there much. And even if it is, it's not a big deal. It's like, well, any, any livestock on the road is a big deal for us. Like we're, <laughs> we're not used to that. So, so for them, they just grown up in it and they're used to it. And so seeing, seeing those things is not that big. And so uh, for us who are coming in from the outside with no frame of reference for it, 
Yeah, it does feel like an assault sometimes. Exactly. exactly. I mean, typically, my uh, my daughter is half Indian, and um, she was telling me on a trip to India recently. She said, "Well, we were driving to the airport, actually from the airport or to the airport, like in the middle of the night, because these are usually night flights to uh, to the west." Right. And she said we were met by an elephant on the road, so we just had to stand there and wait. And that doesn't happen to me every day here in this part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Was it was it hard for you to sort of let go of your uh, your own culture, your American culture? Because you have to adapt. You have to do something. You can't just yeah. um, stick to your guns and say, "Well, you have to do it my way." It doesn't work. It's the Indian way, right? Yeah, I, I think it's been a bit by bit thing. Um, the, at the start, it was more of just like these surface level changes that you have to make in terms of okay, uh, adapting your your dress a little bit different or. Um, the way you greet people maybe is a little different, mm -hmm. but over time, the, the more effective ways of, um, adapting to the culture were much more internal things, you know, how I looked at relationships, how I looked at family. Um, give us an example, uh, Neil, please. Yeah, sure. So, um, for example, like arranged marriages, oh. um, that is something that as an American, we are taught is like the biggest evil in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, someone else making a choice for you as important as marriage, you know, should never happen. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I held to those beliefs extremely strongly, but coming into India, it's obviously a preference that's what they call love marriages here, as opposed to an arranged marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, so after being here for a while, then you start to, to pick up on these ideas of, you know, why they would want to arrange a marriage between families because they really see, you know, marriage is not just individual versus individual. It's, it's, you know, two families joining together. And, um, uh, they say, you know, uh, a family's not finding a, a wife for their son. They're finding a daughter-in-law for the family. Yeah. So it's, it's this much bigger net that's, that I guess I just wasn't aware of before. And to, to see those things and to start to appreciate them even, um, uh, to say like, wow, this is really good that, that a family would uh, take this much care and concern to find somebody that, that fits in with, uh, with a family. And then when you realize, I look back on my own culture and say, okay, yeah, we're expecting 20 to 25 year olds to make these decisions on our own without any family support. Um, yeah, that seems a little foolish sometimes. Yeah, you know, no wonder it goes wrong so often in, in yeah. the Western world, possibly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one uh, explanation uh, for those types of things. So it's th those types of things that you you start to to pick up on and to to learn and to say like, wow, this is this is different. Why is it different? Okay, I can start to understand and appreciate those things. Yeah, out of all these differences that you've experienced in the last five years, being in uh, in uh, I was going to say Madras in Chennai, um, is, what's the biggest between your own culture or maybe the Western culture and the Indian culture? I think by far, whenever I try to explain differences to somebody, uh -huh. um, I'll pick out on, on certain themes or talk about different things about, you know, the chaos or the time or different things, but I can almost always trace it back to relationships. Yeah. It's, um, it's just amazing how things function here, all based on who, you know, who's in your circle. Um, how do you get along with other people? And I guess I just never realized how individualized we are in the U.S. Um, until I came here and, and saw just how everything is based on the, the, the people that are, are close to you and the people that you know and, and whose visiting card you have in your pockets, um, what name you can drop in certain situations. You know, it's everything's based on that. Um, so 
how to build that, how to grow with that has been a, a huge learning curve for me in the last five years. And do you find it simple or easy or difficult to sort of get into these East circles and, and be at least to some extent part of these people, of, of these people's yeah. life circle? I mean. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's really not that difficult once you, uh, you know, commit to, to being a responsible a foreigner, I guess, you know, you're not there to criticize things. You're not there to exploit things. Uh-huh. Once people see that you're genuine, um, that's good. And also you, you innately have something to offer. Uh, you know, they, they want you in their circle because you seem friendly and because, you know, maybe one day they'll be able to call on you for a service. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming from a foreign country often gives you a unique advantage in that because they may think, okay, maybe my business one day will want to grow and I'll need some contacts in that country or they're wanting to send their kids for education in that country. So, um, they see you as an asset in that. So, um, as a foreigner, it's, it's not difficult to, it's, it's also not difficult to uh, inadvertently offend people and get outside that, that circle. That happens a lot. Um, You probably do without even knowing it. Yeah, it's it's almost always without knowing it. Yeah, do you ever do you ever get the the you ever had the feedback that you offended people without knowing it, and you were like very surprised that they they took this the way they took this because you did not intend it like that. Yeah, um, that that happens a lot. I was I was working at a place and I had sent out an email uh, to advertise for a workshop that I was doing, just an internal thing. Mm-hmm. And I had used a lot of my American humor, which that, that should have been one of the first things I learned was to be careful about those types of things. When I talk about that, I'm talking about a lot of sarcasm or a lot of satire or right. um, just different wordplay that I find funny, but other people don't. Yeah. And so because of some of the language that I used in that kind of teaser email, some people felt like, you know, I was belittling them or I was, um, not respecting their position, um, by inviting them to this workshop that was supposed to be for them. You know, I had no idea. I was just trying to be funny and, and make it a lighthearted thing. But, um, certain people felt like it was inappropriate and got offended by that. So that was, uh, one of my first tastes into that. And then you learn, right? No, not really. <laughs> okay. Took some time to, to get that under your belt. Yeah, yeah. You learn one thing and then you realize that it, you know, it takes a while to realize how it applies to so many other things. So, yeah, it takes time. Yeah, I guess it does. Um, you talked about uh, an email, a promotion for something for work. What is it that you do? What's uh, daily life? What's your business, uh, Neil? Yeah, so uh, right now my business is uh, what's called content marketing. I, I work with Indian companies uh, to help them develop strategies for how to use things like blogs, podcasts, newsletters, um, those types of things for their, their own marketing purposes. So I, I work with them, sit down and make a strategy for them and, and then work with freelance writers and, and uh, other creatives here in India to, to help promote that. And then I also have some U.S. clients I work with too. Is, is there a market? Excuse me, asking, but I, I think you're you're direct as, as so possibly I can be direct as well. Giving so many, given so many of the the um, the IT consultancy firms in India, typically where you are, I guess, um, is there a market for that? Oh yeah, I mean, um, a lot of times people don't know how to reach the the audience they want to reach. Mm-hmm. So, um, like you said, I, I do work with um, some tech companies and a lot of them have are, are focused on the Indian market and some of them are focused on foreign markets. Mm-hmm. And so for them to find the right channels to, especially in the foreign ways, to, to reach the people that they really want to reach, you know, to put something in front of us, um, 
a CIO that's out there that, that he would want to read or he would want to see or that she would want to engage with. Like that's a challenge um, to figure that out. So um, it, it's nice to be able to work with them to, to think up creative ways to do that and to get it done by people that they trust and know. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And, and excuse me, on your website, you actually mentioned that you are on your LinkedIn profile, that you've developed some great strategies for how to leverage new media and globalization. Can you sort of yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And that's really just an extension of uh, kind of what I was saying before that, um, you know, these, these new media formats that are, you know, actually quite old, you know, so you talk about, we're doing a podcast right now, we have a nice name for it, but it's, it's really, you know, a radio show from, you know, years gone by to be able to redo that and to, to say, okay, you know, this is how I want to create a conversation around some topic that people would find interesting and to, to leverage talent from all around the world to get that done. You know, whether that be getting uploaded in, in one location or edited in another location or, or somebody else designs the idea to be talking over a, a technology and recording it. Like all those things are just fascinating opportunities we have now that weren't available before. And is this more technical based, like technology, like how you do this? Uh, like, how do you publish a podcast? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, not not from a, a technical side, so to speak, but um, more why you do it and how you get it into the right hands of the right people mm -hmm. uh, and how that's going to promote your business. Okay. And then you, you mentioned a podcast because you are a podcaster as well. What is it that you do? In uh, what What is your podcast about? Yeah, mine, mine's about, uh, it's called just called Working With India, where I interview people who have, you know, at least three or more years experience working here, living here, something like that. So uh, some of them come from big multinationals um, that are, are there, that are here for a few year assignments. Uh, and so they have one story. Other people are more like the self-made expat who has come here on their own that, that wants to try something different. Um, and then I, I've interviewed a few people who are, uh, you know, Indians who are living abroad and are moved back and working with India. So there's, there's all sorts of unique stories that are there. And it's, it's always fun to, to hear from people about how they came to start working with India. Okay. What, what's the interesting one that stuck with you the most? Mm, I think uh, one of the most interesting ones is uh, a guy who was born in India mm -hmm into a family business, which is another one of like my, my pet uh, projects that I like to look at uh, about family businesses, how they work, how they run. Um, but then he um, decided to kind of break off from that. And he's over in California now, I think. Um, and he's Indian originally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he, he's there. He kind of has his own business doing some communication training, but he still has such strong roots in India and with his family um, that he just has a lot, had a nice insights about what that means and what that, um, what it looks like to kind of always be a part of that family system. He talked about, you know, no matter how many contacts he would make or how well he would do, he's always going to be his father's son. Mm. Uh, and so to the other clients that are there that his company's working with, he's never going to be really seen as a senior person by those people, maybe by their children or by somebody else later on mm -hmm. he will be, but, um, that's just uh, part of life for him. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, yeah. there's, um, I've, I've had, I've worked with a lot of Indians in, um, in the past and still they, they are, they're passing by when I do workshops and consulting and all. Um, and of course to the, the Western world, if you want there, India is a very interesting place to look at when it comes to outsourcing stuff, typically when mm -hmm. it's uh, technological stuff, as you would know, then, but it, it's, it doesn't, 
um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I haven't seen any company. I think I'm just trying to think real hard. I haven't seen, I've heard of any company where the, this whole process of outsourcing to India went really smooth. And it's not because of the Indians. It is just because of the cultural differences. What is the biggest challenge, Neil, that Westerns face when they're doing business with India? I mean, there's, there's so many different challenges that are there. Okay. Give um, us a couple then maybe three or, or 500. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, a part of it is, um, I'll just take one, you know, it's, yeah. things are chaotic here. Um, so and, and what do you mean? Okay. The, the traffic, that's not what you mean. No, just, just work life. Um, how things work inside an Indian office, um, is, is not typically highly structured and organized. It's a lot of fighting fires. It's a lot of just kind of dealing with whatever comes mm. immediately. And this is a generality, you know, that that's not the case for every company that's there. But in general, things are just kind of done um, as they come. And so if somebody's giving a proposal, um, you know, they're, they're going to put the, their best foot forward and try to say something about, okay, it's going to be done in this amount of time. And uh, this is going to be the, the structure of it and different things. And it's just difficult for them to, to follow up on that um, and to meet those demands sometimes because they've um, pitched themselves at such a level or so high or on such a tight deadline that it's, you know, only if things go perfectly, then yes, that's possible for it to, to happen. But, but it never does. Yeah, things always happen. And so it's, it's difficult for, uh, it just doesn't come natural to most Indian companies to, um, to plan for those kind of contingencies. Um, the, the, the general thought is if you want me to give you a date, I'm going to give you the best possible date. I'm not going to give a date that I, that I know 100% I can meet. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's one thing that, that affects things. Um, time, you know, like we talked about, it, is something that um, is just thought of differently. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems to be more um, uh, circular rather than linear as it is here. Yeah, um, I, I like to think about the time here as um, it's more of a, um, I, I call it, you know, a currency of relationships almost. Hmm. Um, that time is not necessarily meant to measure processes, but to measure, you know, how much work I've put in for you. Hmm. And so if I've put in, you know, so many hours for you, then I, I fulfilled my obligation, whether, whether or not I got it to you at the exact time I said I was going to or not is, is not as relevant as, you know, how committed I am to it. And also in, in terms of, you know, just building relationships with people, it's, it's very difficult to build a relationship with someone over email in India. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to spend time together. You have to sit, drink, chai to, to sit and talk and to talk through these things. And chai would be the tea. Yeah, definitely. As, as these as these guys run through trains and they're calling chai 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 with their with their hot cans of uh, their their almost jerry cans of hot tea. Right, right, right. Is that something you do? Take internal trains uh, within the country? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to if you're here and you don't take a train. It's it's really sad. Um, <laughs> sad, sad or mad? <laughs> no, sad, sad. You okay. need to do it. It's it's fun. Um, just to to see how you know the majority of the the country travels. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the trains do take a long time to, to get to where you want to go, but if they, if they travel, if they go at all, and if they run at all, no, it's actually really, really well run from my experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I don't travel regularly, mm -hmm. but, uh, for a while I did travel about once in two weeks, uh, from here to Bangalore and back, which is a nice, nice distance. It's about you know five hours by a fast train and eight hours by a slow train. And what, what, how fast is a fast train nowadays in India? Uh, I don't know the speeds they go. <laughs> I just know the hours that it takes. Um, well, okay, what's the distance then? What distance do you travel in five hours with a fast train? Uh, 
that I'd have to look up. I don't even know that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's all right. I, mean, I was just curious to hear because um, uh, here within Europe, they, we have a decently uh, good network of it when it comes to uh, the, the TGV, the, the French uh, Train Grand Vitesse, the fast train. Mm-hmm. Germany has the IID, ICA, the ICE, and um, the other countries, of course, have fast trains as well. I was just curious yeah, yeah. how, how India talk- actually measures up to that. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about anything on that scale. Yeah, fast train just means express. It's not going to make any stops. Hmm. Okay, all right, cool. Um, and the India is a massive country with uh, over one billion people, and it used to be bigger as well. Um, Pakistan and, and Bangladesh used to be part of India as well. Within this whole subcontinent, and then Sri Lanka, of, of course, at the uh, the drop at the bottom. Uh, what are some main cultural differences within the? The, the subcontinent of India, so intracultural differences that you've seen within India itself, or maybe broader than India. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, not, you, you can't really think of it as one country. Uh-huh. Um, even when you take out uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, Sri Lanka areas, like it's still, you know, there's 29 states now. Um, mm. and, and for the most part, each state has its own language, each state has its own, you know, food culture, festivals are all different from different places. So, uh, I mean, the, the country of India was really forced on this, this region yeah. uh, to be one unified political unit. And they've struggled, you know, since that time to, to really um, make things together. When the cricket team's playing, yeah, everyone's excited about it. Um, yeah. But outside of that, it's, it's, it's hard for them to, to really pull everyone together. A lot of it is the language thing. Um, a lot of it is just cultural things. People from the South, and, and when I say South, it's, you know, Kerala is, is the biggest city in the South. Uh, Bangalore is kind of considered a Southern city, but um, has a, its own kind of unique personality. Mm-hmm. But people from Chennai and people from Delhi often compare themselves to each other. And it's, it's really drastically different in, in how people look at it. Uh, Chennai is very conservative. It's very traditional. Um, people are quite religious here. Um, they tend to be a little more soft-spoken uh, about things, whereas Delhi is known for being much more loud and brash and um, uh, people are a little more excitable uh, there and a little more um, secular in those ways. So yeah, pe- someone going from Chennai to, to one of those Northern cities, they would feel a lot of tension and feel like they're totally traveling in a, a new country. And the same for people coming from the North or the South. They don't particularly like coming here because it, it does feel so different. People don't speak the same language here. So it's a big challenge. Would you say that the difference between North and South is, is greater than the difference between East and West? Uh, yeah, there's, there are differences in, in East and West, but uh, the, at least in India, people talk about it being uh, North and South. Um, east and West, you, you would talk about the difference between like Mumbai and Kolkata. Yeah. Um, so those, there, there are significant differences there, but I, I would say that the biggest ones are, are coming from North and South. Uh, and then you even have this area in the Northeast that people don't talk about much. It's uh, a lot of smaller states, less populated, uh, closer to Thailand. Um, Bihar. The, the... Yeah, yeah. Um, Nagaland, uh, Meghalaya, all sorts of places up there that's, you know, a lot of times don't even get mentioned in these discussions. And, and their culture is, is totally different from everyone else's yeah, too. True. What, what do you think, just uh, uh, your opinion, will India and Pakistan ever be friends? <laughs> India and Pakistan, the countries will never be friends. No, 
No. Um, Indians and Pakistanis will be friends. That that happens a lot. And when people travel there, they often be so surprised at how nice you know people mm-hmm. are, and how well they're treated in different ways. But uh, as a country, it's they almost need each other to be arch enemies. Um, so it's it's kind of fun to to see that. And you know, I've never been to Pakistan, so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for me to side with Indians whenever they say something, even though I, I, I know that sometimes it's often inflated and, in, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what they do, I guess. Yeah. Have you in, in the five years that you've been in India ever been back to the U S yeah, we've been back a few times. Um, how does that, how does that work when, when you go back to, to the United States and do you look around and, and do you question certain things like, wow, I never saw this. I never saw that. But given my added, added experience of the, my time in India, I see things differently in the U S. Yeah. Um, that happens a lot on, on different levels. I mean, the, the biggest thing is that you notice at first is just transportation, you know, um, not only, okay, the roads are less chaotic, but the fact that at least where I live in the U S like you cannot get to some place without a car. Like you, you must own one. There, there's no other option. Yeah. Um, and in India, there's you know so many options. You know, I can, I, if I want to leave the house, I have about, you know, six different ways I can get from here to somewhere else on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. Um, so you start to think about those things, um, on, on just kind of the surface level type stuff. But then I, I often think a lot about, you know, how businesses function, um, you know, in terms of the scale that a business would need to be in India, you drive down the road and there's, you know, 20 different small shops that are there from guys that, you know, just yesterday I took my kid's uh, bicycle to get fixed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the chain was loose. He, he fixed it, fixed it up, spent about maybe 15 minutes on it. And he charged me 50 rupees, which is the equivalent of about, you know, 80 us cents. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that's, that's how that guy makes his living, um, yeah. there, um, doing things. And, you know, you just don't see businesses on that small scale in the U S you know, everything you see is, you know, has to be of a decent size and has to make a decent income to, to come in for those types of things. If the, if there's having traveled back and forth now between India and, and the U S several times, what, what's the one thing you would like to change about the American, the people that you've, that you would like them to be somewhat different? If anything, of course. I think not necessarily the thing I would I would change about um, the U.S., but one thing that I've come to extremely respect about India is the way they treat their elders, mm-hmm. um, and especially not just elders in general, which is there, but your own personal parents, grandparents, those types of things. Um, I'm, I'm always humbled by the ways that you know someone will totally change their lifestyle, um, change where they're living move their family to, to better serve their parents uh, who are getting older, who, who want to be around um, children. Yeah, I find that fairly common these days or a lot of Indians moving back from foreign countries to be here because their parents are, are aging and they want to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not that I, I want to condemn Americans across the board for, for putting old people in nursing homes, <laughs> as we call them. Um, but what uh, I just really respect that feeling of uh, of saying, you know, these are my parents. It's a, it's an honor to take care of them. Um, no one questions that. Everyone feels like, okay, that's the highest thing you can do yeah. is to to care for your parents as they get older and to to provide for them. Yeah. Well, I wasn't asking you to criticize the U.S. per se or anything else. Sure. I mean, it's, we're, we're talking here about general cultural differences, and um, it, it's it's called cultural differences, and that's the reason that it's only different. It is not good or bad. Mm-hmm. I don't, neither culture is better than the other. 
Um, that's what I think, at least. Um, Neil, we've been we've been chatting really casually here on for a little over thirty minutes now. Um, I'm, I'm going uh, to sort of uh, wrap it up with two questions left, and one is usually the most difficult one, and that is: Can you give us three tips that you've out of your own bag, if you want, to become more culturally competent? Okay, three tips. Um, <laughs> you knew this was coming. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I think the first one is one that I've, I've come to really appreciate a lot is that, um, you know, asking the question, why does some, why does somebody do something? I guess, um, when you think about something like an arranged marriage, like our, our first thought is, you know, that's just weird. That's just wrong. Yeah. Um, and maybe you can get to the point where you say, okay, this just different. Somebody else does it different, but it's still weird. Yeah. Um, but you know, these things have been going on for ages, you know, in India, vegetarianism is, is very big, at least in the South here. Mm -hmm. Um, so to, to think about, you know, why does somebody prefer to only eat vegetables, um, or th there's some food that they like, you know, why is it that they, they like this food? I, I would never eat this food. Why would they like it? And to realize, you know, there's, there's probably a reason they've been doing it and, you know, they might actually even like it, you know, contrary to what you can imagine that people would actually like this food. And so just to, to step back and say, okay, why does somebody like this food? Why does somebody like this uh, cultural setup? Why do people like living with extended families? Um, when you start looking at, at those things, it, it, you start to realize, you know, okay, you can uh, appreciate things. You can become more empathetic. You can become, you know, more culturally competent, I would say, yep. to say, okay, I, I know why you do that. And it makes sense to me. And if I were in your shoes, I would do the same thing. Mm. I think that would be the first one. Excellent. Number two. Uh, two is to, um, definitely dive deep into the local culture. I'm sure a lot of people say this a lot, but, um, you know, you can get, um, hold up with other, uh, expats where you are, uh, if you're moving to a new place and it's always nice to have that good release valve, um, with somebody who understands cultural differences and to be able to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. But if that becomes your, your major social net here, um, when I say here, just any kind of foreign place that you're living, then, then that's, that's really hampering you. It's not really, um, aiding you. If you're only on maybe a one year assignment, okay, you can get by like that. But if you really want to make some place a home, at least for a few years, you have to, to get outside of that and start to meet real people, get into real homes. Um, th those types of things, get, get away from the, the big brunches at the huge hotels and, and really start to have meals with people. That'd be the second thing. Okay. And then the third thing is um, uh, kind of related to the first, but to, to actually recognize the fact that somebody else's cultural style might be better than yours. Um, I think that that's a hard thing. And I mm -hmm. often look about uh, leadership is one topic I like to talk and write about. Um, and in, in India, um, the leadership style that's the most generally accepted in, when you look at history is definitely more of a parental style where the the, the lead figure operates like a parent. you know, they, um, they think about, you know, taking care of the people that are working for them, but then they also have a very authoritarian structure, you know, that the father, the mother knows best about these things. So they can be very direct with the people that are there, but they also try to take uh, good care of them. It's a really um, paternalistic uh, style of management. Yeah. And, but the thing is that a lot of people hear paternalistic and they think authoritarian and think, okay, that's bad. We shouldn't do that. We should do whatever we can to get away from that. Yeah. Um, but to recognize, you know, in, in a lot of settings, that is, uh, maybe the best choice you can make, um, to, to lead in that style. 
Uh, not that everyone needs to do that all the time, but in certain situations that, that really does work best. Um, and so just to, to be humble enough to say, okay, if somebody does it differently than me, there's a chance that it, in their situation, it's, it's more likely to be better, um, in those things. So just be willing to, to do that, to try it out, to adapt it. It might not be, it might not work for you, but just to be willing. Yeah. Okay. Sounds really good. Uh, some really, uh, detailed and in-depth tips. Thanks for that, Neil. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, I think my, uh, my website where I write about India is probably the best place. Um, uh-huh. it's, uh, learningindia.in. Um, so that's where I have most of my blog articles, where I host my podcasts and different things. Um, and then my, my business that I run here about content marketing is called madrasmediamarketing.com. So you can find me in both those places. Madrasmediamarketing.com. All right. Got it all noted down. Thank you so much. All these links uh, will be, um, these couple of links will be in the show notes, of course. And you can find those on culturematters.com. Neil, thank you very much for taking the time to spend a um, close to 40 minutes uh, with us. And um, I hope everybody appreciated the interview. I, I'm sure they will. I certainly did. Thanks for sharing this. And I'm pretty sure we'll talk to each other in the future. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks again, Neil, for um, spending time with us on the Culture Matters podcast and also for your three insightful tips. What you could do to help me out if you like this um, this podcast is go to iTunes and leave a review and a rating there. Of course, make it an honest review and rating and the higher, the better. That should not be a surprise. In iTunes, just find the um, Culture Matters or put something like Chris Smith or Cultural Differences in the search field and you'll uh, be able to find that podcast. Mm. The other thing that I would like to point you towards is uh, Amazon, where you can um, uh, get the book, my uh, my first published book. The second book is uh, is almost ready and ready to be published as well. Uh, the book is titled How to o- Overcome Cultural Differences When Working Internationally. You can find it in the uh, Kindle store right there. Um, the direct link would be um, culturematters.com slash ebook. We'll get you there straight away. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Culture Matters podcast. I'll be back in two weeks time. Talk to you soon. Bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.